Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. stand please. Revelation chapter 3 beginning in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word. And hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly... Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, I'm grateful for the arrangement of these churches. We have the Church of Philadelphia right before we have the Church of the Laodiceans. And I think that's a good thing. We get a a positive note because the most disgusting church of them all is the last one. Uh, No doubt about it. And so uh, the Church at Sardis, nothing good really to say about them. But the Church at Laodiceans seems even to be worse. We'll say more about that when we get into that, Lord willing, next Thursday. Tonight, let me just remind us of a few things about the church in Philadelphia. I gave you some facts. We'll not go over those again about the city of Philadelphia. We dealt with last week how the Lord characterized himself to this church in verse 7. And then and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. And so four things the Lord says about himself in verse 7. Number one, he first and foremost characterizes himself as holy. Separate, holy is separate from sin. Holy is to be, for us, it's separate from sin because we're separated unto God. We need to remember tonight, the church is a called out assembly. We're called out of the world unto the Lord to serve him in this world. But that's what the idea of being holy. The Lord is holy in that he is not touched by sin as we are. The Lord has never sinned. He has never been complicit with sin. That's why he that is holy, he that is true. The Lord doesn't say, well, you're one of my favorites. I would typically call what you do sin, but I like you. No, he's holy. And to be holy, we have to be true. And we need to meditate on that for a while. So we talked about that last week. He that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. That's a reference to Isaiah 22, 22. Isaiah 9, 6 talks about the government shall be upon his shoulders. And so... The Lord Jesus Christ is the son of David. The kingdom of Israel has been handed to him. He has the key of David. He has the key to the treasure trove of of the nation of Israel, but to the treasure trove of God. And then he says, he is the one that shutteth and no man openeth. He openeth, no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. The Lord is the one who opens doors. Uh, We are told to ask and seek and knock. I wonder how many opportunities to serve the Lord we don't have because we've not knocked. He's got the key, amen? He holds the keys of death and of hell. The Lord holds the keys. The devil doesn't hold the keys to hell. No, no, the Lord Jesus holds the key. And so we must, we we dealt with all that last week, but he has the key of David. He openeth and no man shutteth, shutteth and no man openeth. And then he's going to go from that into verse 8. Of course, we talked about the fact that in all the other uh, five churches thus far, the Lord Jesus has touched back to his, the reference of himself in Revelation chapter 1 where he has eyes as a flame of fire and feet as brass and out of his mouth goes as sharp two-edged sword. To the church at Philadelphia, he characterizes himself in a way not characterized to John, meaning they had a unique 
a unique message from the Lord for their church uh, that was not already uh, dealt with uh, when he gave this revelation to John. I think that is, that's interesting. The Bible says, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. The secret of the Lord is with them. There are things that you cannot know about the Lord without the fear of the Lord. If tonight you're wrestling with a bad attitude toward the Lord, let me just be very clear. And by the way, if you live very long, you will. Your attitude toward God is going to be tested. If you're going to be saved very long, there's going to be a point where His ways are not going to make sense to you, and you're going to feel like He's mistreating you. How many of you remember this? Bear with me for just a minute here. How many remember as a little child thinking that your mom and dad hung the moon? And then you got older and reality set in and you realized, oh, they're quite human. And that turns from quite human to, oh, mom and dad. They must think I'm stupid, you know. No, they know you are. But anyway, and they love you anyway. And they love you anyway, right? Uh, but the fact of the matter is, if you live very long as a child, will you wrestle with a bad attitude toward your parents? You will, or you're not breathing. Every husband and wife at some point in time are going to have a difficult time not getting a bad attitude toward their mate. Some more than others. Some people make it very difficult to keep a good attitude. Others do not, but it doesn't matter. If you married the best woman in the world, one point in time or another, you'd have a hard time not having a bad attitude. So in our relationship with God, He is sinlessly perfect, yet there are times that we don't understand His ways, and what happens is instead of fearing Him, we sell up on Him. And then we don't understand him. The, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. You say, what does that have to do with the Philadelphian church? They had an understanding, a revelation of Christ to them that was unique. He said, I want to help you understand something. I have the key of David. I open doors and I close doors. And for you, Philadelphia church, I have opened a door and no man can shut it. I opened it. The only person can shut it is me. It would seem to me that they could miss the opportunity. I think one of the great things we need to be aware of is God gives us opportunities. I touched on this on Sunday when he was walking on the water in the Sea of Galilee. The Bible says he would have passed by the disciples, but they cried out. On the road to Emmaus, the Bible says he would have gone on, but the two on the road said, no, no, stay with us. I wonder how many times the Lord is giving us an opportunity and we're not getting, because he said, you must ask and seek and knock if I'm going to answer and you're going to find and the door's going to be open. You initiate the asking and I'll answer. You, you initiate the seeking and I'll, I'll help you find. You knock and it will be open. No asking, no seeking, no knocking, no receiving, no, no, no getting, no finding, and no opening. Right? Submit yourselves therefore to God, draw nigh unto him and he will draw nigh to you. There is a connection between the faithfulness of the church in Philadelphia and the open door God gave them. I believe this. I believe there are opportunities for Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church to serve the Lord in a greater way. And I mean this. We're not trying to give you a, a rally charge. but you, I, we, Obviously, you don't have to have great strength for God to give you an open door. And I don't want to re-preach last week, but I just want to remind us of what we looked at. But I believe this. Our open doors are going to be hinged upon. He's got the key. He made it very clear they had an open door and that there was a connection because he says, this is why. Let's read verse 8 again. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. And what's the next word? For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. He said, you've got little strength, a little strength, but you've not denied my name and you've kept my word. Therefore, I've given you an open door. Because of your faithfulness to my name and to my word, even in the little strength you have, I've put in front of you an open door. An, op an open door, as you well know, is access. How many of you know, we just read about Berlin, Germany. You know, what, you know what God needs to do in Berlin? Open a door for some people. God has got to work against the gates of hell to open doors, if you would, so that the gospel can go forward. And so this church had an open door before them. And so verse 7, the characterization of Christ, he's holy, true, has the key of David, openeth no man shutteth, shutteth no man openeth. Verse 8, the comprehension of Christ. What he knew about this church was their fruitfulness uh, in their operation. They had not denied his name. They'd kept his word. Excuse me. And in their opportunity, he speaks again about the open door. He, the comprehension of Christ, we dealt with their fruitfulness, their frailty, their little strength, but their faithfulness. So he knew their works. Uh, he knew that they had little strength, but yet we're reminded tonight his strength is made perfect in 
weakness. Something God has to teach us is not to despise our weaknesses. It is, I'll be honest with you. There's some things, and I, I have a long way to go, but there's a point where you begin to see, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. I look at how God selected a mate for me. I was weak spiritually, weak in a lot of ways when my wife and I met, but I was surrendered. Uh, shortly after we met, the Lord got a hold of my heart and I surrendered. She was surrendered. We had a host of things for God to work on, still do. But the point was, we were no longer seeking, I want to find the person I want. And No, no, we wanted God's will. God gave me a wife that perfectly complements my weaknesses. I can tell you my character weaknesses, I can tell you her character strengths, and they complement each other. Now, I believe this, we get out of God's will and we'll hate each other. <laughs> because her strengths all of a sudden become a frustration if that's my weakness, right? But I look at the wisdom of God in providing a helpmate to me who will help shore me up in weaknesses and vice versa. My strengths are her weaknesses. And I believe this in a local church. God will provide for our weaknesses through who he adds to the church to help one another. Not one of us has fully the strength we need. But I believe this, where we are weak, we must rely on the Lord to make us strong. I look at some things today that have become an emphasis in my own heart and my mind. And I would say it's amazing to me some of the very things that are an emphasis in my life now are some of the greatest areas of weakness, naturally speaking. I said, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. You think about Moses. God called Moses to lead a people, a man who stammered when he talked. <laughs> that's what made Moses so usable. God says, I'm not concerned about how strong your tongue is. I want what's in your hand. Will you, all I need from you is obedience. Take that stick that's in your hand and do what I tell you with it, and I'll do the miracles. And my point is, this is a church that did not have great strength, but it didn't need great strength. It needed great confidence in the Savior, which it had. That is demonstrated through their faithfulness to his word and to his name. They had not denied his name. That There's so much entailed in that. We think name, we simply think the, the, the word Jesus, but his name has to do with his authority. It has to do with all he is and what he stands for. The Lord Jesus Christ, remember, stands for what is holy and what is true. Not denying his name means I will be loyal to that which is holy and that which is true. I'm not going to deny the truth because it offends somebody. I'm not going to deny the truth because it's going to make me look bad. I'm going to hold fast to his name. And when, when his name is assaulted by people assaulting his character, misaligning him, misrepresenting his words, we're going to hold faithful to him. And we know, based on the other churches, there were people infiltrating with the doctrine of Balaam that were not being faithful to the Lord Jesus' truth. They were acting as though immorality is okay, but this church said, no, not welcome here. We're not okay with the doctrine of Balaam that says you can worship God and live wickedly at the same time. We're not okay with that. They had been loyal to the Lord, to that which is holy, that which is true. There was a Jezebel that had entered into another church. Do we think that Philadelphia was just exempt from the influence of Jezebel and the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and the, and the deeds of Nicolaitans? Didn't the Nicolaitans ever visit Philadelphia? They must have, but the Philadelphian says, no, what you're saying is in conflict with what he says. And we're not going to deny his word or deny his name to make you feel welcome. Amen? Do you know what the Lord gave them because they were faithful? An open door. And I don't know about you, I like the idea of saying, hey, there's an opportunity for you to serve me on the other side of that wall, and here's a door open for you to go through and serve me in. And so then, praise God for that. So they, they had an opportunity, and he, he knows about and comprehends and tells them of their frailty, but he commends them, if you would, in this for their faithfulness. They had kept his word and had not denied his name under pressure undoubtedly to do so number three in verse 11 we'll pick up now uh, where we left off last week verse 11 uh let's let's back up um we'll go back to verses 9 10 and 12 and 13 we're going to put all that together with the consolation of christ so let, let's just focus on verse 11 in the lord's counsel to them it's very brief his counsel to this church there's not a lot you know what when a church will do what it's supposed to do it doesn't need a lot of correction <laughs> The Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And so the list of instruction here is not long for the church of Philadelphia. You realize they were not told to repent. Do you know why? They were in agreement with the Lord. 
There was nothing they were holding to that he disagreed with. It doesn't mean they were sinless. It just means there was not need for them to repent. They were on course. They were on track. Uh, verse, verse 11, behold, this is his counsel, behold, I come quickly. Uh, hold fast, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Let me just say this. Um, in the end of chapter 1, he says, I believe it's the end of chapter 1, behold, I, I come quickly. That's twice that he's referred to him coming quickly. You can look at that one of two ways. Either quickly means I'm going to be here in just a matter of days. Or when I come, it's happening fast. Now, if you know your Bibles, which would you lean toward on how to, how to process that verse and plug it in? Because here's what happened. Those who believe that Jesus already um, implemented the Great Tribulation about A.D. 70 would say, see, all the things he promised in Matthew 24 have already come to pass. It's called Praetorist view. We don't hold to that. It doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture. There's a view called a Praetorist view that says everything in Matthew 24 has already happened. Jerusalem fell. Tribulation period happened. Nero was the Antichrist and so forth. Uh, and so there's different variants of that view. We don't hold to that view. Bit, well, one of the verses they'll quote is that he said in Revelation, Behold, I come quickly. Now, we believe Revelation written about A.D. 90. They believe it was written back about A.D. 60, 65. And so everything happened quickly, right? There's not a lot of strength in that view, but the point would be this. That's not really the context of what he's saying. Behold, I come quickly, meaning when I come, you're not going to have any more time to prepare. So you be faithful so that when I come, it's going to happen fast. What does the Bible say? He'll come in the twinkling of an eye. Not the blink of an eye, the twinkling of an eye. The moment it takes for the light to hit the eye and the twinkle to come. Boom, that fast. Like lightning, he'll come. Boom, just unexpected. Boom, here it is. So you better, you know what he's saying? Live ready. The first thing he's going to say to the Philadelphian church is, Behold, I come quickly. You know what? There's not any one of these churches that did not need to be reminded of the truth that Jesus Christ is coming again. And so at this time, no matter what the state of a church is, one of the primary answers is to be reminded that our hope is not on a better future earth. Our hope, I know it'll be better once Christ comes, but our blessed hope is Christ's return. Do you know why so much of missions has turned into social gospel? Because we're just trying to make the world a better place. We're not trying to prepare for an eternity with the Lord. We're not trying to prepare for the day that New Jerusalem comes down. No, that's far-fetched. We treat the Bible like Revelation, the last few chapters, like it's sci-fi. It's not science fiction. It's fact. It seems like science fiction because we've never experienced anything like this. I got news for you. 2020 seemed like science fiction until it happened. Huh? The fact is what Jesus says to this faithful church, you know what faithful churches need to hear? Behold, he comes quickly. The churches that were off track need to be reminded, I'm coming. And when I come, if you're not ready, I'm going to take you like a thief. You know what the faithful church need to hear? I'm coming. So he, he reminds me, his counsel is, I, need, I call to remember. I want you to remember I'm coming. Behold, I come quickly. And because of that, he says, hold that fast which thou hast that no man take thy crown. Now, in a world that is increasingly focusing on progressive ideas, okay? Whether it's progressivism in the church or progressivism in politics. May I say this? Like most everything else in the world, it's perverse. What they're calling progress is regress at every level. We're not making progress in the family unit. It's regression. We're acting today in our culture more like beasts than like humans. That's not progress. That's not, not, not in your life. But I want to ask you this. When the Lord is counseling this faithful church... Does he say, hey, find more ways to, to, to be more embracive and engaging? I'm going to try to use some words that are used in our, in our dialogue out here today. Of the culture. You need to find more ways to engage. You need to find more ways to connect. <laughs> Hold fast. I say, I'll say this again. We don't need more movements. We don't need movements. We need, I've coined this word, statements. <laughs> I mean, we need the ability to stand fast where we are. The world is moving at a fast pace. Uh, there, is a, there is a river of corruption flowing around us. There's enough movement going on. What God's people are supposed to do, you know what a pillar and ground does? It doesn't move. It stays. Churches don't need to find ways to change, to, 
to become more um, relevant. That's a word that's been popularized in our day. How can we be more relevant to our culture? I'll tell you what will make you relevant when everything around you is moving toward corruption and you and I are holding fast. When everybody else is saying there's a better message than the old-fashioned Bible and what's there, a lot of that is hard to understand or archaic or out of date or, you know, times have changed. We know that, right? <laughs> what a, what a cop-out. Times have changed. That is a cop-out for compromise. Of course times have changed. God hasn't changed. He's still holy. He's still true. And you know what the Lord is saying to them? You don't have to compromise to get open doors. You with me tonight? We want an opportunity to do more for the Lord. And you want today what we're often, it's never said this blatantly. It's never said this succinctly. If you want to reach more people, you're going to have to make some compromises. You cannot be so puritanistic in your thinking. You can't be a separatist. I'm going to tell you something. The separation is, is I'm going to separate my life unto God. I don't make it my goal in life to be separate from people. I'm just going to be separated unto God, and that will force me to separate from people who are against God by default. And so here's a church that was being faithful. What the Lord says, I want to call you to remember I come quickly. So because I'm coming quickly, don't change. Don't compromise, Philadelphia. Hold that fast which thou hast. Here's what you have. You have been faithful to my name. You have been faithful to my word. Hold on to that. Hold on to faithfulness. Not how can we be more relevant? How can we change? No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. He says you hold fast. And so here, again, think about this for a moment. If you look at the context of this scripture, he's told this church, because of your faithfulness, you have opportunity. And what we're being told by the church gurus of our day is if you want people to come... You can't be so dogmatic about the truth of the Bible. You cannot be dogmatic about doctrine and reach people. You cannot be dogmatic about holiness and reach people. By dogmatic, I mean we're not moving. We're not softening the word of God and the name of Jesus Christ. We're not going to change the identity of Jesus Christ in order to gain an opportunity. We were told long ago by a previous pastor... He said, do not ever trade uh, the opportunity for, for uh, the opportunity to influence, in essence, for your integrity. What happens is, so for instance, I have an opportunity to, um, if, we, if, we, if we decide we're going to join all the churches on the football field for a community worship service, we'll have an opportunity to reach more people. Well, that's true. There'll be more people on the football field for the ecumenical service than there will be here on a typical Sunday morning. But at the same time, what we're saying is the church that denies uh, that salvation is by grace through faith alone, we're willing to act like we believe the same thing for a few moments for a greater opportunity. Meaning, in essence, we have compromised a truth, a vital doctrinal truth in order to have an open door. We don't get open doors by making compromises of his word. We get open doors by the opposite. The Lord says, you're faithful, I'll open a door for you. The, I, the very idea that through methodology we can open doors is folly. He has the key. So if you and I think, you know what's happening? Churches that are making compromises, and we, we're not exempt. This church could do the same thing. This pastor could do the same thing. So wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth think he lest he fall. But the, the ideology that's crept in so many of our churches is we want to create opportunities for growth. We want to create opportunities for the gospel to go forward. And we're going to, we're going to come up with creative methods in order to open doors. Flies in the face of this truth. We get open doors by being loyal to the one who has the keys. And then when he opens the door, we walk through it. I'm going to say Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church has some open doors right now. Let me ask you something. Did we beat those doors down? I thought today I had the opportunity to sit this afternoon and plainly, plainly give a gospel to a man that the Lord has opened the door in. He's, he has opened that door, and he's kept that door open for a long time. And all I could say, and the Lord was working in that heart today, and all I could say was the Lord did that. And what resonated in my mind was, what was different? Nothing, just constancy. Just keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. 
keep on doing it. I would say that with our, with our local jail. God has an open door for this church to be in there. And you know what? I, there, wasn't, there wasn't creativity. Just we're going to be loyal to God's word. Loyal to what he gives us the ability to do. And so God's one opens doors. You have people you can witness to. You know what? You have no idea what years of faithfulness to Christ near a neighbor will give you. When you are faithful in the workplace and people know you're loyal to Jesus Christ, when they start uh, attacking the truth of God and you won't join them, you don't have to stand up on a platform and preach to them all. You just ain't going to join them. You'll preach loud, I promise you. You walk away when they start telling some filthy thing. You, you say, I don't agree with that. They say, I think there's Bibles full of errors. No, it's not full of errors. And you're going to stand there and fight and argue with you. and say, no, that's not right. You know what? Years of faithfulness will give you Guess what? An open door. They're the, you're the person the Lord is going to point them to when it's time for them to listen. My point is this. Opportunities are not created by compromise. Opportunities are given to us by Christ for faithfulness. And his counsel to them is, look, don't compromise now. I've set before you an open door. Remember, I'm coming quickly and then retain what you have been given. I'm reminded of this. Uh, uh, one of the, the authors of reading after wrote these down. And so he says, the scriptures are filled with warnings such as keep that which is committed to thy trust. 1 Timothy 6.20. Hold fast the form of sound words. 2 Timothy 1.13. Earnestly contend for the faith. Jude verse 3. Continue in the faith, grounded and settled. Colossians 1.23. A few examples of his charge. Don't move. I want you to find me one verse in the Bible that commands us and instructs us Get creative to open doors. It's not in your Bible. Anywhere. Holding fast to his word is. Holding fast to his name is. The call of the church is not to be creating a new movement or getting excitement. And I'm not against using the creativity God gives us to within the bounds of being faithful to his word. Don't misunderstand me. But we don't open doors by creativity. No, we hold fast what we have. So wherein we are faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. What's our call? Hold fast. Keep what you have. Don't let anybody take that away from you. And so then uh, he, he calls them to retain their character. Okay. So he says in verse 11, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast that which thou hast. That's their character. And then he, ha he, he challenges them to, to retain their crown. Why? Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown you realize we can lose rewards james 1 verse 12 blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life which the lord hath promised to them that love him love him love and obedience are inseparable the crown is not promised to just anybody eternal life is a gift from god but there are rewards that are gained through faithfulness paul said that uh, I've, I've fought a good fight, I've kept the fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished my course. Henceforth, henceforth, because I have been faithful and finished what was given me and held fast to that which I was given, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. What the Lord is saying is, I'm coming quickly, don't compromise now or you'll lose your crown. You'll lose your reward. You know what the judgment seat up for the Christian is? It's either a place of gain or loss. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we can preach that at a different time. But it is either a place where we gain rewards or we lose rewards. There are certain rewards laid up for every child of God. And if you and I are faithful, we get them. But if we deny his name and deny his word, our soul is saved according to 1 Corinthians 3. We are on the foundation of Jesus Christ and we'll be saved, yet so is by fire. But we can suffer loss. It's possible for the child of God to suffer loss at the judgment seat. It's why it's important for us to be reminded he's coming quickly. We don't want him to come and us having said, well, we know the scripture says this, but if we hold to that, I promise you, 16 years of pastoring this church, there, there's a reason. I don't mean to be, we can always pat ourselves on the back, but there are certain things that have been preached and that's why folks have gone out the doors and never come back. You say, you, it's not heroism, it's just the word of God. It has that effect. There are folks that will not tolerate the word of God. So there's always in the life of every church, there's a temptation to say, can we not soften the message a little bit? Some have this idea. It's the preacher's way of delivery. I won't defend my way of delivery. I am who God made me to be and I'll change whatever he wants to change. But I can promise you, 
You can whisper the word of God and there are still people that won't tolerate it until you quit whispering the word of God. Not about method of delivery. <laughs> I've seen it work that way. Men who are as meek and mild and quiet and yet just faithfully gave the word of God, same response. So the, here's the temptation. When we know growth is slow or there are things that we might think would give us greater strength, but they are limited because of what he has to say. How do you know there's a connection between a church that has 28,000 members and a preacher who, by his own admission, will not mention hell and will not preach on sin? His message is always positive. I'm not positive. I can't bear to look at the man's face. But anyway, so that's unkind. It's just true. Here's a man that knows better. He knows the Bible as well as most people, better than most people, but refuses to preach something Jesus preached and put him on Calvary's crossover. The doctrine of a real hell where sinners go except they repent and believe on him. Joel Osteen won't preach on it. Thus, biggest church in the country. Do you think there's a connection there? Do you think if today he said, I am wrong, I repent of my wickedness and not preaching God's word and starting this Lord's day, I'm going to preach all the counsel of God. Number one, he can't do that. But if he did, do you think everything would stay as it is? There's no way. You say, what's the point in all this? There's a temptation to deny his word and deny his name, meaning change the identity of Jesus Christ to suit a wicked world in order to have an open door. The Lord says, no, no. You've got a crown through faithfulness. Don't let anybody take it from you. You be faithful. You'll find this, and I'll find this as we read our Bible. God puts a premium on faithfulness. Before fruitfulness is faithfulness. How can you be faithful if there's not something to test that faithfulness? If our faithfulness always brought great results, there wouldn't really be a test whether or not we're going to be faithful now, would there? No. If my marriage was always perfect, meaning there's two perfect people who always do perfect things and always behave the way they should, well, then would there be any test of our love for each other? If my wife felt wonderful every day, she was never tired, never sick, never uh, a little on the grumpy side, never, you know, she just, I mean, a sinless human being. Where would be the test of my faithfulness? So if everything we do for Christ was, hey, I've been faithful, I got a new car. I've been faithful, we get a brand new church building. I've been faithful, we got, you know, 35 new people on Sunday. There are seasons of fruitfulness like that. And then there are seasons where all those things go away. But his word doesn't change. So the test of faithfulness is, will we be faithful to the Lord when our faithfulness is costing us something? He says, don't deny my name, keep my word, because that's where your crown is. You retain your character and thereby retain your crown. Let no man take it from you. Verse 11, behold, I come quickly. I hold that fast which thou hast that no man take thy crown. May I some? Is there any man out here that would like to snatch the crown out of your hand? Isn't that interesting? He didn't say that the devil not take your crown. He said that no man take thy crown. You know what? There are men who if we listen to they're, they're, they, can't take, they can't take your salvation, but they can take your crown. So be careful who you listen to, that no man take that crown. Faithfulness is the premise. Verse 11, his counsel is, remember, I come quickly. Retain your character, retain your crown. Very quickly, uh, we'll go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, and then we'll try to give us our last point and bring it to a close in the next few minutes. 1 Corinthians 11, th uh, 3, rather, verses 11 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. Uh, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. So there's six kinds of material there, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Three of those will not burn, three of them will. Verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. We know he's not talking about eternal life. Eternal life is a gift, not a reward. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. 
Uh, so the idea would be either a reward or, or loss. That's going to be dependent on are we faithful to the Lord and to His name, to His word and His name. Number four, we've seen the characterization of Christ to the church, the comprehension of Christ of His church, the counsel of Christ to the church, and now the consolation of Christ to this church. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Um, how many of you have heard of replacement theology? Okay, the church replacing Israel. Now we're studying Galatians right now and studying that uh, we are the children of Abraham by faith. That is talking about a spiritual relationship. When we hear about replacement theology, what we're saying is things that applied to Israel now apply to the church. And people will use replacement theology to take churches back under the law. To take churches back under the old covenant instead of staying where we're at under the new. Remember this, in the church there's neither Jew nor Greek. We're not looked at as Jew or Gentile. And so I would say this, this whole idea of saying you're Jews and are not began with Roman Catholicism. The Roman Catholics, you know why there's still a priesthood in Roman Catholicism? Because they believe in replacement theology at some level. That the, now the things, the, the religious system of the nation of Israel is now to be incorporated in church at some level. And so we have a priesthood to where there are priests who advocate on behalf of the people. There's a vicar of God. No, no, no. Those are saying they're Jews and they're liars. They are not. We have Hebrew roots type things today. We have Messianic Jews and there are true Jewish Christians, people who are Jewish by birth but have become believers in Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm talking about. People who are Gentiles who say now I am a Jew because my salvation takes me back to Judaism. No, no, no. That's what's going on in the book of Galatians. That was going on all the way back here in Revelation. There were those, God says, they're of the synagogue, not of God, but the synagogue of Satan. They are pretending to be the chosen people of God. They are not. You say, is he talking about they weren't Jews by nature or Jews spiritually? The answer would be right, neither one. They weren't Jews by birth. And they weren't spiritual Jews in the sense of they weren't grafted into the promises of God through faith in Jesus Christ. They were not children of Abraham at all, not by spiritual descendancy or physical descendancy. They're liars. And they were using that as a way to deceive and pull people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ back under a system of works. Is that not what Catholicism is? May I say almost every denomination that is promoting error today is a spinoff of Catholicism. Lutheranism, whether they like it or lump it, I understood it started in the Protestant era, and I understand that there were a time when there were Lutherans who were true believers and were saved, but Lutheranism is a child of Catholicism. Methodism at some level is attached. Lutheranism, no doubt, Episcopalians in the Church of England were spins off, and today, so sadly, many of them are going back to that same place. And I'm trying to say here is the Lord says, look, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, meaning those who've given you a hard time, those who say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come worship, come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. You know what he's saying? They've hated you, but there's going to come a day that they're going to fall down by your feet and they're going to know my love for you. Meaning I'm going to show them their error in front of you. I think about Philippians chapter 2. and The Bible says, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love this picture. As I read this, I thought, is the Lord Jesus saying he's going to make these falsely proclaimed Jews to actually worship the Philadelphians? No. He said they'll worship before thy feet. Now, if Jesus is on his throne and we're ruling and reigning with him, where are these people going to be? At the feet of who? Jesus Christ. But if we're with him, he'll be at our feet worshiping, not us, him. Worshiping him and him letting them know, you see these people with me? These are my people. You hated them on earth, but I love them. May I say this? This is a reminder that our enemies have a day coming where they'll answer to him. You know how we have to deal with our enemies, those who hate us, those who oppose the truth, 
those who despise us for our love for Christ, we just be faithful to him and say, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Proving them wrong is his business. Being faithful to him is our business. Amen? Here You say, what, what's, what's this connected to for us practically? How many have ever seen somebody get into the business of studying false religion in order to disprove it? I wouldn't advise it. Bible says be simple concerning that which is evil. You, we need to know just enough to know, okay, what do you actually believe? But don't make false religion your study. Because what can happen is we get personally upset because someone does not appreciate our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because someone says, we believe you're a bunch of frauds. I was dealing with my children this morning, the miracle of the Lord Jesus where he cast out a dumb spirit and they accused Jesus of casting devils out by the prince of the devils, Beelzebub. Now Jesus quickly answers them and says, then by whom do your children cast them out? Your children are casting out devils. Apparently some of their children were some of his disciples. <laughs> so by whom do your children cast them out? That's all he said. Then you know what he did next? He went in the next towns, preached, cast out devils, healed the sick, raised the dead. He just went on and did his work. He did not spend his time trying to go around and make his ministry dealing with the Pharisees. He had to deal with the Pharisees because they hated him. But his ministry was to fulfill the will of the Father, and that was to prove through his works and his word that he is the Son of God indeed. And as they got in the way and they accused him of being wrong, accusing him of being false like these of the synagogue were Satan. You know, what the, you know what these falsely proclaimed Jews are saying? We're the real people of God. You people are frauds. That's what they were doing in Acts 15. You're not circumcised. You're not real believers. We are. And the Lord Jesus said, I'll show them one day who's, what the truth is. But what did he tell them to do in the meanwhile? Now you go out there and you prove them all wrong. Hold fast that which thou hast. You just be faithful to me. I'll take care of them. Okay, so the first thing he deals with in his consolation is he reminds them of his own power or his authority. Verse 9, behold, what's the next three words? I will make. You realize the Lord Jesus one day will use his power to make people do what they're supposed to do? Right now, we are under an age of grace. You know what grace does? Grace gives you freedom to respond to God if you wish. Grace is God's favor extended if we'll respond to him in faith. How many you know one day God's grace is going to end? He's going to say, I gave you enough time to do what you should because you chose to. Now you're going to do what you should because I'm going to make you. If you've ever had a child, you've had to at least experience this a little bit. You tell a child, you need to do such and such. They don't do it. So you apply some discipline so they'll decide to do that. Right? You want to teach them the wisdom of you made a bad choice, here's what you need to do. But how many of you know, if I let that child continue, they're going to actually get hurt. I mean, they're going to hurt themselves bad. So you physically stop them and make them do what they're supposed to do. There's a time for that, by the way. You want to teach a child to submit his will because he's supposed to, but if he's going to destroy himself, you may have to make him do what he's supposed to. You know what? God in grace has been giving man an opportunity, an opportunity, an opportunity to be saved, to have peace with him, but there's going to come a day where the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not because those people chose to, but because they had to. The truth will put them on their face. And we pray for those, pray they come to repentance, but those who won't, his power will prevail. Okay, behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Meaning what Christ is saying is you be faithful to me, I will defend you, I'll protect you, I'll, I, I, and he has the power to do that. Number two, or letter B, under his consolation, is, is, is his praise. Verse 10, he says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. He's going to praise them. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which uh, shall come upon all the world to try them uh, that dwell upon, all the, uh, upon, uh, upon the earth. And he's going to make some promises to them. So his praise, verse 10, he, he says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. He's just commending them again. He speaks of his power, verse 9. His, his praise for them is found in verse 10 in the first part. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. So this is a conditional promise. Because you've been faithful and you have endured. Patience always deals with the time frame of endurance. You've had to endure affliction undoubtedly from these of the synagogue of Satan. Then here's what I'm going to do. He says, I will keep thee, also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, 
which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly is where verse 11 comes in. I want to point this out in verse uh, 10, the latter part, is his first promise to them. It's a promise to keep them from the hour of temptation. This is undoubtedly a reference to the great tribulation. If you were to look back in Revelation chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, the church at Smyrna got a similar promise, but not the same. Okay, verse 8 of, of Revelation 2, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works, and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. Same kind of people, is it not? But are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. I referenced this last week, but do you see a difference in the two kinds of tribulation these two churches are having? One, the Lord says, you're going to be delivered from it altogether, the church of Philadelphia. The church in Smyrna, he says, ten days to try you, but he's not referencing in, in Revelation chapter 2 to the church of Smyrna, he's not, re, he's not referencing a tribulation that's going to come to try the earth. What's taking place in Revelation chapter 2 was intended to try who? The whole earth or the church of Smyrna? The church of Smyrna. The problems that are coming, the tribulation referenced in chapter 3 regarding the church of Philadelphia is a tribulation that's coming to try the, the earth. That's a different kind of tribulation. We can have tribulation in this life that's intended to try us, to test us, to purify us, to make us more usable for the Lord. He says, be thou faithful unto death. To the, to the church of Philadelphia, he says, hey, you hold fast because you've held the word of my patience. I'm going to deliver you from what's coming on the entire earth. This is not unique to Philadelphia. This is something coming on the whole earth. This is a great reference to a pre-tribulational rapture. He says, I'm going to deliver you from that because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast that no man take thy crown. Verse 12, him that overcometh, we're continuing with his promises. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. You know what a pillar does? It doesn't move. Can you see the emphasis to the church of Philadelphia? Don't move. Don't change. Don't compromise my word. Don't compromise my name. Uh, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast your crown. All right? Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. When you're willing to put your name on somebody, you know what you're saying? I am unashamed to be identified with you. And he said, you've been unashamed to identify with me on earth. When you get to heaven, I will be unashamed to be identified with you in heaven. Is that not attached to what he said in Matthew, I believe, chapter 10, Luke chapter 12? If you deny my name before men, I'll deny your name before the Father. But if you're faithful to honor my name before men, I'll honor you before my Father. Here, you know, he's saying, I'm going to write on you the name of God, the name, so the name of my Father. I'm going to write on you the name of the city of, of my God, meaning I'm going, to, I'm going to put on you your citizenship. You are from God. You have a citizenship in heaven, and I'm going to put upon you my new name. My name that is identified with my authority in heaven, meaning who I am right now, I will be unashamed. The Bible says in Hebrews, and I did not write the text down, he was not ashamed to call them brethren. I wonder if today the Lord, when we get to heaven, could say, you know what? This one right here, he is from my God, from the city of my God, and he is directly identified with me. That's the idea of putting those names on these people. He's saying, you know what? You've been unashamed of my name on earth. I will not be ashamed of you in heaven. What a wonderful thing. Now, don't, don't read too much. There are those who would say, oh, what if you don't? You lose your salvation. No, no, no. It's a whole idea of here's my promise to you. You're faithful, and then I'm going to reward you and crown you with openly saying, these are mine. These are people that were faithful. Amen? And so then he speaks of his power uh, his praise for them in verse 10, his promises to them. If you overcome, I'll make you a pillar, unmovable. I'll put upon you the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out from heaven, and I will write upon him my new name. So he is openly identifying with them is his promise to put his name upon them. And, uh, and then we move forward to verse 13. Then he gives the plea that he ends with all of them. He that hath an ear, let him hear 
what the Spirit saith unto the churches. That's to us tonight. Every time we read this final verse, we have to remember, he says, he that hath an ear. Who's that to? If you're willing to listen, there's a message for you individually in this. The charge to all of us tonight is, if you're being faithful to Christ, hold fast. Don't compromise now. Don't say it's just too hard. Being loyal to his word, being loyal to who he really is, not who the world wants him to be, is too challenging. It's too difficult. I'm going to tell you a good indicator tonight if you're being loyal to his name and loyal to his word. It's just a good measurement. How many know if you're getting sick, you need to put a thermometer under your arm? Right? Check yourself. How much time am I actually spending getting myself into the word of God and getting the word of God into me? Reading, study, memorization. Meaning how, how much of a priority is his word to me? How, how important is it for me to maintain who he really is? If you don't stay in your Bible and figure out who Jesus is, you'll let the world tell you who he is. And he'll become foreign to you. That way when he's speaking to you by the Holy Spirit, you're not going to recognize it because you forgot who he was. So tonight, how's your time with the Lord? May I say this? If you don't have time with the Lord, you need to get right with God tonight. Honestly, you need to get right with the Lord. Why would you treat the one who died for you with such... Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this? If you came to my house this week and rang the doorbell and you saw me look out the window, I'm like, oh, hey, that's Vienna. Everybody hide. And she's like, ding, 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 ding. Hide. And then she finally gives up after 20 minutes of ringing the bell. Like, man, I just wanted to talk to them. I just wanted to say good morning. I was in the neighborhood, and they won't even answer the door. So then we're in town, and we're in the grocery store, and we come around, there's Vienna. I'm like, ah, go the other way. Do you think she might get the idea we're not happy with her? Yeah. When we won't open our Bibles, or when it's read, we disconnect, and we turn it off. Do you think the Lord might get the idea we're not happy with him? You know why he might get that idea? Because it's true. It's a good gauge, isn't it? Are we being loyal to him, loyal to his name, loyal to his word? Tonight, we need to examine this. Him, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Would he say to us tonight, well done, you're doing a good job. Hold fast that which thou hast. What that tells me, somebody's trying to pry your crown out of your hands right now. I'll guarantee you, if you don't sense it, just be ready. Hold fast that when you say you're trying to scare us. No, we need to be sober-minded so that we're ready for him at his return. Amen? Amen. Love the church at Philadelphia. May we learn from his instruction to them and his promises. There's going to be great reward one day for those who are faithful. I'm glad to know I'm going to heaven no matter what because of what Christ has done. But honestly, do we want to go and hear, I can't say well done. Welcome, but not well done. I wouldn't want to hear that. Amen? I wouldn't want to see a crown that potentially was mine. The Lord say, I'm holy and I'm true. If I give it to you, I'd be unjust. You denied my word and you denied my name. I, I, I can't. I can't give it to you. It's got to go. Amen? So let's live for the Lord. Be ready for his return. Father,